For those of you who don't know me, my name's Kevin, and uh, it's my great honor to be here today. Um, I'm here about every Sunday, but to be here on the platform and sharing the message this morning. Um, before we dive into the Word, I wish if we could just take one more moment and pray one more time for Pastor Mike um, and for Christy while he's away and the kids, all right? If you guys could join with me in prayer. And uh, I'm just trying to think, let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm directionally challenged. Anybody have any idea which direction south is as we're sitting right now? South is that way? Is this correct? Someone, someone speak to me. I can't see you. Somewhere that direction. Okay, so I'm one of those old school kind of people that like raises their hands in the direction that they're praying. So that's kind of what I want to do. Mike's that way. So I want to raise my hand that way. If you want to join with me in praying for him that way, I invite you. All right? So Heavenly Father, we pray for Pastor Mike down in Brooklyn and Staten Island today. We pray that you would be with him. We pray that you would bless him. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would go forth, that the people would be blessed having him there, Lord God. And we just pray for his time that he's away. We pray for his safety coming home. We pray for Christy and the kids who are here at home and pray that you would surround them with your strongest warring angels, Lord God, that nothing, nothing could invade their home while he's away. And we thank you for our pastor. We pray for him and blessings for him and for Christy and the kids. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So today our assignment from Pastor Mike is to continue on with the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in chapter 6. We're going to be covering a fair amount of things today. Some of the scripture will be up on the screen behind me. Most of it won't. I'll try to remember to give the address of what I'm talking about, or at least mention the author of the book that I'm talking about. If I forget at, um, I believe there's supposed to be rotten fruit and vegetables underneath their seats so you can throw at me. Um, maybe they forgot to do that. I get, that's Dan Hall's fault. So bl everybody blame Dan Hall for that. And send me all your complaints, Hall at citychurch.com. Uh, I apologize there was supposed to be that, but there isn't. So anyway, really, in all honesty, if I forget to mention uh, an address and you have a question, please just ask me afterwards. I'll do my best to show you where that is in the scriptures, okay? And I Wow. Uh, okay, I'm back. Well, there was just a moment I was gone. So uh, I expect you all to, to, to check me. Fact check. Look, look up the scriptures in the Bible. When someone shares a message on stage, you know, except for Pastor Mike, we all know he's, he's correct. But anybody else, you know, if they share a message, fact check them. Say, where did they say that in the Bible? The Apostle Paul says, be a Berean. Look those things up. Don't just trust what somebody says to you. All right? So today... Our assignment is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And it's supposed to be on the screen. I'm actually going to just move off to the side in case you want to read that. My version that I have at the moment in front of me is uh, NIV. I don't know what we're going to have up there, but this is Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. Jesus is talking. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you add a single hour to your life? And then he says, and why do you worry about clothes? And see, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Heavenly Father, we just pray for the Word. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive the Word today. I pray, Lord, that imperfect vessel though I am, Lord Jesus, that you would use me to let us gather a little bit more insight into who you are and who we are in you, that we can draw ever closer to you. Amen. And so Jesus starts this passage off. He says, he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about, what, about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Don't worry about it. You know, here in 2020, we have a lot of things to worry about. Maybe, maybe not high on the list is what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. There's been quite a bit to worry about here in 2020. But Jesus is talking to a different crowd that day. He's talking to an agrarian culture. He's talking to a culture that lived day to day, that literally made their bread today, their daily bread for this day. I mean, I know at home we have that question, right? We're going to worry about what we're going to eat. The big question, all married couples here almost every night, what's for dinner? You know, here in America, what's for dinner? Uh, you want chicken again? Uh, you want pasta? Uh, uh, maybe tonight's a takeout night. Yes, takeout, no dishes. It's great. But that's not who he was talking to. These guys had a different life that they were living. They literally led their lives eating today what they made for, to eat for today. They led their lives in a, in a time when they didn't have refrigeration and they didn't have preservatives and they didn't have the supermarket to go down the street to. These were people who knew what it was like to go without food. These were people who very likely knew someone who had died because they didn't have enough to eat. And so Jesus says to them, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat. And I, if I was there in the crowd that day, I'll admit, I would have been like, are you kidding me, Jack? Really? Like, come on, I worry about what I'm going to eat every day. There's not enough food. When I was reading this passage over and considering it, I remembered hearing a story. After World War II, when the Allies had carpet-bombed cities and the Axis powers had carpet-bombed cities, there arose up a, a group of refugee children who didn't have anywhere to go. Literally, their cities were completely leveled and unrecognizable. Entire districts, entire neighborhoods were completely leveled and were just rubble on the ground. And these kids had no family to go to, and they had no friends to go to, and they had no neighbors to speak of. Everyone scattered because of the invading armies going both directions. And so the war had come to a close, and the children were gathered together in a camp, and they would feed the children every day, and they provided them with clothing to wear, and they gave them shelter, right, to sleep under, and they gave them a bed, and the children didn't seem to be getting any better. They still seemed completely traumatized. And at first, it kind of made sense. They lost their family. They lost their home. They lost their city. They lost their neighborhood. They lost all their friends. 
everything has been upended. It makes sense that it would be a little traumatized. But time went on, and the kids still ate but didn't gain any weight. And the kids still went to bed at night, but they never slept. They would just rock in their beds. If they did fall asleep, it was for a very short period of time before they woke up screaming in night terrors. Nothing seemed to be working as days turned into weeks, turned into months. And finally, a psychologist one day said, I want to try something. And at dinner time, he went to the kids and he said, in front of you is a little dinner roll, a little loaf of bread. If you're hungry, eat it right ahead. But before you leave tonight, make sure you've got a loaf of bread that you can take with you back to your bed. If you get hungry in the middle of the night, go right ahead and eat that loaf of bread. Okay? And tomorrow morning, bring it back here if you didn't eat it. And we'll give you a brand new one. And so the kids went off to bed. Most of them still didn't sleep. Most of them still cried. If they did fall asleep, woke up in night terrors. Some of them got hungry and ate their bread. Some of them didn't. But the next morning, they went around. And whoever ate their bread was given a brand new one. And whoever didn't eat their bread, they took the old one, the stale one from yesterday, and gave them a new piece of bread, a new loaf of bread. And said, keep it with you all day long. If you get hungry, go ahead and eat it. If you don't, no big deal. At dinner time, we'll give you a new one. And they did that again that night. And when the children went to bed that second night, many of them slept for the first time in months. A few still woke up hungry and ate their bread. A few still woke up with their night terrors. But the next morning, they did the same thing. Those who'd eaten their bread were given a new piece of bread. Those who hadn't eaten their bread were given a new fresh loaf of bread, and the old one was thrown away. And that third night, almost the entire camp slept. Almost the entire camp got through the night just fine. And they did that again and again and again. And so for these kids, they realized the only thing that changed for them was the fact that they had a loaf of bread in their hands, something that they could hold on to when they went to bed. They had all the same amount of food as they did before. They had clothing like they did before. They had people around them like they did before. The thing that changed for them was they were given bread tonight and told, this is yours. If you need it, it's there for you. And suddenly for these kids, life started to make sense again. There was a pattern to life that they could recognize and that they could navigate. Suddenly for them, they didn't have to worry about what might happen tomorrow because I've got a piece of bread and I can make it through tonight. See, Jesus says, don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about that. Why? Because that worry will consume you just as it was consuming those little kids. It had nothing to do with the quantity of food. It had to do with whether or not they could navigate this new world. And suddenly they were given a tool, an understanding of how they could do that. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll wear, Jesus said. And in that passage, that Matthew passage that we read, he likened us to birds, which is a rather, an, a rather interesting thing, I thought. He says, listen, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow, and they don't reap, and they don't store up in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And we know that, you know, 
There's all sorts of little sayings about um, working like a bird, right? Like the early bird gets the worm, right? So it's not like birds are lazy. It's not like they just can sit around and wait for the worm to climb up in the nest with them or wait for a seed to blow in on the wind and they just have to peck at it. But what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, don't worry. Be like the birds. Don't worry. Isaiah 55 says, come. Come all who are thirsty. Come, buy wine and bread without money. Come, why do you buy things with your money that don't satisfy? Why do you buy things that aren't bread? Why do you labor on what doesn't satisfy? And that's what Jesus is referring to here. Those birds of the air, they're not so concerned with the things of this world, of this level. They soar above it. They ride the air currents above it, swooping and flying, and they return to the earth every now and then when it's time to rest or it's time to eat. They come back down to this level. They know what they've been designed for. They know what they should eat and they shouldn't eat. They know that the birds are not going out and trying to eat things that are not designed for them, things that won't satisfy them. You don't see a bird trying to chew on a blade of grass. You don't see a bird trying to take down a lion. Those things aren't going to satisfy, and it probably won't work out well for the bird in the end. Right? They swoop above, and then they come back again. They swoop above and fly and soar, and then come back down. And Jesus is saying, be like that. Be like the birds. Don't chase after that which doesn't satisfy you. Don't worry about having more than enough. Don't worry about trying to accumulate for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. See, those kids in the World War II refugee camps, they could start to sleep because they could just think about tonight. They could start saying, I don't need to worry about tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. I don't need to let that overwhelm me because I know I'll get through. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying about those birds, they know their identity. They know who they are. Hey, come on. They know the cosmic pecking order. I hide the groan from Cameron over here. Yeah, the cosmic pecking order, they're birds. That's for Nathan, because Nathan doesn't think I'm funny. <laughs> See, that's what Jesus is getting at. Know who you are. Don't chase after those things which don't satisfy. Don't chase after those things which are not food for your souls. Ecclesiastes 6.2 says, A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him the power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is a vanity. It's an evil affliction. King Solomon is saying simply this, listen, there's a man to whom God gives the power to get wealth and honor and power, everything that he wants. He chooses his life. He uses his life to accumulate power and wealth and goods. He uses his life to accumulate honor for himself. He accumulates, 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 but he never gets any satisfaction out of it. And then he dies. And that's a shameful thing because somebody else then gets to enjoy the food that he stored up. Someone else then gets to run the company that he created. Someone else then gets to live in the house that he built. Someone else gets to do all those things he never got to because he spent his whole life pursuing the thing 
and never living life. Jesus says life is more than simply the food we eat. It's more than simply satisfying those insatiable desires in us. It's more than that. Consider the birds of the air. Don't worry about what you'll eat. <laughs> Starting at verse 28, he says, Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I was reading that and I was like, wait a minute. Clothing? Oh, you of little faith? Wait, wait a minute. Where does that come from? What in the world does what I'm going to wear have to do with my faith? I mean, these two things don't seem to really go very well together, Jesus. Oh, you of little faith? Brought me back to in the way, way back machine. Genesis chapter 3. Way, way back machine. There's Adam and Eve in the garden. They've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes are opened up, and they realize that they're naked. And the scripture says that they made coverings for themselves out of, out of fig leaves, and they hid. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. Adam and Eve's response was that he hid. We're actually probably a little early, but you're okay. I'm going to let you stay up here with me because it's fun. Because we've got like 17 minutes to go. There's actually two references to faith. But you're okay. I can you hang just, out or I can go. You can stay right there. Okay. It's perfectly fine with me. Awesome. I love it. So they hid. We just read in Matthew that Jesus says, Listen, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Adam and Eve's response after they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and saw they were naked and made clothes for themselves was to hide. They did the exact opposite. In the cosmic game of hide and seek, our job is to be the seeker, not the hider. They hid. They hid when they should have been seeking. So God calls out to them, right? He says, Adam, hey, where are you? fantastic question. Adam. I love that question. I think it's an awesome question because I know that God knew the answer to where Adam was. It reminds me when I was little and my mom would say to me, Kevin, where's your head? Now, it's probably was in the same place it is now, sitting on top of my shoulders, right? I don't think that I lost it anywhere and had to go find it. But she would say, where's your head? Where's your head at? In other words, what were you thinking, boy? Because what you've done is not the Kevin that I know. Your actions don't line up. What I see before me with this Kevin and his actions, they don't line up with the Kevin I know to be. So where's your head at? What are you thinking? Right? And that was God's question to Adam. Adam, where are you? Remember back to Genesis chapter 1. God created Adam and Eve. He created them to rule over the world, to have dominion over the world. He created them to name the animals. He created them to tend the garden. He created them to be fruitful. 
fruitful and to multiply. He created Adam to be one with whom he could stand in the garden and walk in the garden in the cool of the day and have a conversation and have a relationship. And so when God came down and was walking in the garden and Adam was hiding, he was like, wait a minute, Adam, where are you? Because the Adam that I see is not the Adam I created. The Adam that I see cowering in the ground over here with his fig leaves on, what in the world are you wearing, boy? You're not the Adam I created? What are you doing? Who are you? What have you done with the Adam I created? You're not the one that I came to spend time with. Where are you? So Adam responds. Right? He says, well, I heard you in the garden, and I was naked, and I was afraid, so I hid. Here's the thing, though. Adam wasn't naked anymore. Adam and Eve took the time to take a bunch of fig leaves. Why they chose fig leaves, I don't know. But they took the time to take a bunch of fig leaves and sew them together into coverings so that they weren't naked. Yet Adam's response to God was, I was naked, and I was afraid, so I hid. I was naked. But he wasn't naked. Now, maybe Adam is just making a commentary here about the quality of his beautiful new fig leaf outfit that he's wearing. I know that if I took the time to try to make a fig leaf outlet, outfit, um, I would feel quite uncomfortable being up here before you all traipsing around in a fig leaf outfit as well. Um, and I'm sure you all would be very uncomfortable with that situation too. So we're not doing that today. Uh, so maybe that was all his commentary was, right? Was that I know I'm a really bad fig leaf tailor. But maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was that Adam knew that even though Adam and Eve could look at each other and they looked like they were covered, when it came to being before God the Father, the creator of the universe, the star-breathing God, when it came to being his presence, with this fig leaf wearing, really was nothing to be spoken of. Maybe that's what he was getting at. Here, Adam and Eve were trying to cover up their sinfulness. They were trying to cover up their shame. They were trying to cover up for who they felt they were after having eaten of the fruit of the tree that they were told not to eat from. Perhaps he just still felt a little exposed. He felt a little bare. And Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Are we really that different? Don't worry about what you'll wear. I do. I worry about what I'm going to wear. I did today. I thought about it before coming in. I could have worn, my sh worn shorts and a t-shirt and my sandals that my friend Sean calls my Jesus slippers. I could have worn those. But I actually thought about it and said, no, it's probably going to be a little chilly. I think I want long pants and a long shirt. And I should wear something that probably looks okay on camera because that adds 15 pounds, right? And um, right? you think about those things. Of course we think about those things. Of course we think about what we're going to wear. Of course we worry a little bit about that. The clothes make the man. You want to dress for success. Our identities are wrapped up in our appearance. They always have been. From Adam and Eve trying to cover up their sin and their shame and their nakedness to King Solomon wanting to dress in his fineness to impress. Our clothing tells about who we are. It tells us 
tells people about our opinion of ourselves. It tells us how we think others ought to treat us. Our clothing sends a message, right? What is it that you wear to your work? Do you wear coveralls? Do you wear slacks? Do you wear an Armani suit? Do you wear a dress? Do you wear a pantsuit? Do you wear jeans? It sends a message. In the book of Jonah, we read about people wearing sackcloth and ashes on their head. Why? Because they were repenting. We read about the lepers. Did you know that in Jesus' time, the lepers had to wear torn clothing? And they weren't allowed to have a covering over their head. Not only were they sick, not only was that their, their fate in life already, they had to wear clothing that announced to everyone, I'm sick, I'm contagious, you should stay away from me. Their clothing sent a message about what condition their lives were in. Do you remember blind Bartimaeus by the side of the road calling out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? And his friends are like, shut up, shut up, Bart, shut up. And he's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They're like, shh, you're embarrassing us. Shut up, Jesus, do I hear you? And he's like, that's the point. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? And Jesus comes, says, what do you want? He says, I want to be healed. And he heals him. And what does Bartimaeus do? He takes off his beggar's cloak. And he throws it on the ground. And he says, that identifies me as a blind beggar, and I'm not that person anymore. That's not who I am. I refuse to accept that identity. I am a new person, a new creation, a new child of God. I am not that blind man's cloak. That's not me. And he follows Jesus. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Scripture says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God the Father. Really? These clothing covering up our earth suit? They're just fancy fig leaves. They're really just fancy fig leaves. Before Him, we're still naked. Before Him, there's nothing. These are just really fancy fig leaves. And that's why Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. Because too often we trust in these clothing that we wear to try to make us who we want people to think we are. Too often we trust in this clothing rather than seeking after his righteousness. Because that's what Jesus said. Don't worry about what you wear. Seek after his righteousness. Then we can be the same person. We can be the same person here on the platform as we are sitting in the congregation, as we are sitting at home on our couch, as we are sitting around the table with friends, as we are anytime. Then we never need to be ashamed. We never need to worry about being naked before someone in a spiritual sense. Because we are the same person all the time. We're right with God because we have His righteousness. We don't need to worry about what food we'll eat, what clothing we'll wear, because we know the stuff of this world doesn't really satisfy, because we know who we are in Jesus. 
And yet for all our desiring of this stuff of the world, and all of our attempts to hide behind our really fancy fig leaves, even so, First Peter tells us this, that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's who you are. That's who you are in this auditorium today. That's who you are. That's who you are sitting at home today watching this online. That's who you are. You are a chosen generation. You are a priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people. Out of all of time, out of all eternity, out of all the people that have ever lived on planet earth or will ever live on planet earth, God chose you to be here today. He chose you to be here in the sound of this voice in this auditorium. He chose you to be here. He said, when he looked at eternity, he said, I want you. I want you. I choose you. I choose you. Each and every one of you. I choose you. I want one of you. Why? Because if I have one of you and he speaks your name, I want a Garrett in 2020. I want a Sarah in 2020, right? I want a Tony in 2020. You know, I can only see so far because of the lights. So if you're in the back, sorry, I can't see you. But he speaks your name. He spoke your name from his throne and he said, I want a Laura in 2020. I want you here. I want you. You're chosen. You're not forgotten. You're not a mistake. You're not an add-on. You're not an afterthought. He said, I want you. I choose you. I choose you first. I want you to be one of my children in this day, in this age, at this time, for my purposes and my kingdom. I choose you. So often I think about me choosing God, that I went and chose God one day. No, he chose me many years ago now. He decided, I want a Kevin. I choose you. You're a chosen generation. He says you're a royal priesthood. You're royalty. You're royalty, right? Come on. Come on, City Church. You're royalty. You are sons and you are daughters of the King of Kings, of the King of the universe. You are sons and you are daughters. You are princesses and princes in his house. You are royalty. And there's an invitation to any of you who don't know him that you can come and be one of his children and also be royalty. That's who you are. Walk in that. Walk in that knowing that you can keep your head up high because you're chosen. You don't need to worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. You don't need to worry about the things going on in this world. Why? Because you're chosen. Because you're royal. Because your father is the very king of the universe. You're chosen. And you are royal. In Proverbs 31, King Lemuel's mom says this to him. She said, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. 
It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicated. The justice of give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. She says, Listen, remember who you are, your royalty. You don't need to drink strong drink. You don't need to get drunk to cover up the pain. Jesus says, hey, you know what? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. The pagans run around after that stuff. Why? Because they don't know who they are. They don't know who their father is. They're living in misery. They're living in shame. They're lit struggling from day to day. Let them chase after those things and try to find some pleasure in this life. You, you're royalty. Don't forget that. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget that you will judge over angels one day in heaven. Don't forget who you are. You are royalty. You don't need that stuff. You can live above it. You can live above it. Because that's what this world needs. is for leaders who will stand and will look from above like those birds in the air. They won't be so concerned about this level of existence. You were chosen. You are royal. You are holy. You're set apart. You're something special. You're not every day. You're not common. You're not normal. The Bible actually says we're peculiar. I know I am. Right? Come on. You're a holy people. City Church, you're a holy people. You're set apart for something greater. You're set apart for His very kingdom. You're set apart from that which is out in the rest of the world. You're a holy people. And he says you're special. I don't know about you. I, well, I did hear that I was special quite a bit growing up. I don't think my mom meant it that way. But you're a special people. You're special. Don't let anyone say you're not. You know, when discovered that he was naked, the first thing God said to him was, Who told you you're naked? Who told you you were naked? In this society too often, we will gladly point out to someone, hey, you're naked. Hey, you got this wrong with you. You got that problem. Hey, you, you know what? This is what's wrong with you. Hey, you, you know what? You know what you did. We're too, we're way, way too easy to point out the negatives inside people. But in 1 Peter, he says, listen, you're special. You're special. Don't let anyone tell you different, City Church. You're special. You are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. You are special. So City Church, let's not worry. Let's not worry about the things of this earth. Let's not worry about what we're going to try to find to, cons- to try to s- satiate the hungers that we have. Let's not look for that, those things on this level playing field. Let's look to the heavens. Let's look to His kingdom. Let's seek Jesus and his righteousness because then we can remember who we are as his people and we can lead other people who are far from him into a growing relationship with him. Amen? Even in 2020. Even in 2020. Where's there, everybody? Now, you came up, but nobody else came up. They're all hiding. See, you may be a little early, but they're late. That's, That's much worse. 
let's, uh, let's stand up. Let's worship for a few more minutes. Right? Let's worship for a few more minutes. Not forgetting who we are, but remembering that we are chosen and royal and holy and special. We're His own special people and that we just want to celebrate Jesus. We just want to draw ourselves closer to Him. We just want another touch and another taste. We just want to get a little bit more into the holy of holies today. We just want to get another touch, another moment with the King of Kings before we go out back into the world. Right? Come on. Let's.